0: I think it's appropriate to start with a disclaimer. In the Old West, gun ownership was nearly universal in the male population. To be sure, many careless woundings and tragic takings of life occurred back then, as they do today. Back then, unlike today, there was virtually no discussion about the pros and cons of gun ownership. And in this presentation, I've tried to keep a neutral tone about the use of firearms. 1919, the Winchester Repeating Arms Company of New Haven, Connecticut launched an international print advertising campaign in which he claimed that Winchester lever action rifles in general and its model 1873 in particular were the gun that won the West. Now if you've ever seen the John Wayne movie, you've certainly seen this type of rifle almost immediately, the Colt Firearms Company launched a (laughs) counter-advertising campaign, claiming that its Peacemaker revolver was actually the gun that won the West. Well, I'll certainly not be able to resolve the Winchester-Colt controversy with my talk today, but hopefully, along the way, Winchester and Colt may even find some common ground. In the 1840s, As the fur trapping era was ending in what's now Montana, the well-armed trapper might carry a hawk and muzzle-loading rifle, which he could load and fire, perhaps twice a minute, by cramming gunpowder and lead ball in from the front of the barrel between shots. Twenty years later, the Montana gold seeker could arm himself with a lever-action repeating rifle which could be fired every few seconds up to 16 shots before refilling its magazine with cartridges was necessary to reload this rifle between shots the shooter simply worked the lever forward and then back this rifle the henry was the first of the line of rifles manufactured by the companies managed or owned by oliver winchester which revolutionized self-defense and hunting in the last 30 years of the frontier they're recognized as icons of that era today. By the way, the, these uh, kind of poor quality photographs of guns or snaps that I took of uh, rifles in the Montana Historical Society collection. I'm going to take a pretty big sidetrack right here. A thousand years ago in China, to, to talk a little about the origins of what we now call black powder, This was the only propellant for the firearms used in North America from the time of the Spanish conquistadors until about 1890. We've probably all heard that the Chinese invented gunpowder, what we call black powder today, but that they only used it for fireworks, not realizing its potential for use in war. Well, actually, there's good evidence now that the Chinese did realize the military applications of gunpowder, and harnessed it in rockets, bombs, rudimentary cannons, and a thing called a fire lance, which was used to jab an enemy while showering him with red-hot sparks. <coughs> an old Chinese painting, which is my favorite by the way, which is showing a fire lance and a rudimentary hand grenade in use. We know that black powder reached Europe in the middle of the 13th century, precisely how. Black powder first came to the Americas with Columbus, but the Spaniards didn't share the secrets of gunpowder with the inhabitants of the New World, although they did, unfortunately, give them a taste of it. Black powder is pure magic from the age of alchemy. There are only three more or less inert ingredients in the stuff, charcoal, sulfur, and saltpeter. And they're only mixed together. They, They don't form chemical bonds. Charcoal and sulfur are pretty mundane substances. Saltpeter, whose active component is potassium nitrate, that gives gunpowder its explosive magic. At the core of the potassium nitrate compound are three oxygen atoms bonded to one nitrogen atom. When the heat of a spark is introduced to black powder, the sulfur starts to burn first and then ignites the charcoal the combustion of which quickly produces enough heat to shatter the potassium nitrate in the saltpeter, instantly releasing its oxygen atoms. The sudden flood of released oxygen causes the near-instant combustion of the rest of the carbon in the charcoal, causing the mixture to go up in an instant, producing a large volume of hot gas. And that's enough uh, chemistry. Powder is contained when it's ignited The pressure of the hot gas can explode a bomb, propel a rocket, or drive a bullet from the barrel of a gun. Now the most problematic ingredient of black powder to obtain is saltpeter, deposit on the surface of the ground. In the rest of Europe and in the Americas, saltpeter was scraped from the sides of bat-dropping field caves and the walls of stables. And later on in America, saltpeter plantations were a recipe from 1561. They called for mixing human feces with the urine of those persons which drink either wine or strong beer, along with the dung of horses fed on oats and lime obtained from old mortar or plaster. The be covered and turned regularly for a year after like snow. Now, This sounds quite a bit like uh, one of the jobs I had back there in Missoula. (laughs) (laughs) In the the early 19th century, sophisticated gunpowder factories were constructed in the United States. But it would still remain necessary to collect saltpeter in the traditional ways until a method of making synthetic saltpeter was developed during the Civil War. And uh, this is the DuPont gunpowder factory on the banks of the Delaware River in Delaware. Black powder remained the only propellant for use in firearms until the introduction of the more powerful smokeless powder at the end of the 19th century. It almost instantly obsolete, although black powder is still used today. most of the millennia-long history of black powder, single-shot weapons which needed to be laboriously reloaded from the muzzle between shots were the firearms available? I'm sure you can appreciate how inconvenient these weapons were at those times, when the shooter or second shot. <laughs> <laughs> this is Captain Meriwether Lewis in one of those awkward moments. In the first and half of the 19th century, a number of designs for repeating rifles were originated but no really practical designs emerged until just before. 1855, a group of New York and New Haven, Connecticut investors incorporated as the Volcanic Repeating Arms Company. Among the Volcanic investors was a 46-year-old minority stockholder named Oliver Winchester. Winchester's father had died when he was only a year old, and he apprenticed to a carpenter when he was 14, becoming a master builder at the age of 20. Later, he went into the men's clothing business and patented an improvement in the manufacture of men's shirts. At the time of his investment in Volcanic, Winchester had a thriving shirt factory in New Haven, Connecticut, which employed men, which made lever-action repeating pistols and rifles became insolvent in a few years. The company was reorganized and emerged in 1857 as the new Haven. Oliver Winchester as president. Under Winchester, the company began turning out mostly rifles rather than pistols. The design of the volcanic rifle was basically very good. It was later incorporated in the designs of the Henry and Winchester brand rifles that followed it. To operate the volcanic rifle, the shooter shooter first filled the tubular magazine under the barrel with so called rocket balls. I love saying that. <laughs> Work the lever forward and then back to load a rocket ball from the magazine into the chamber and cock the hammer. After pulling the trigger to fire the rifle, he simply worked the lever forward and back again to load the next rocket ball into the rifle's chamber. A big drawback to the volcanic rifle was the rocket ball that it fired. It was basically a lead bullet with a black powder charge packed into a hollow in its base. It was underpowered and did not adequately seal the rear of the chamber to prevent hot gases from the combustion of the powder spitting back into the shooter's face. The subsonic rocket ball left the barrel at an anemic speed of less than 500 feet per second. And for to a modern rifle shoots a bullet at somewhere close to 3,000 feet per second. The slow, lobbing trajectory of the rocket ball made the Volcanic Rifle impractical at anything more than relatively... Oliver Winchester didn't himself design a single innovation for the firearms that he produced. He was a manager first and foremost, but he did hire some very good designers. Winchester turned to his plant superintendent, Benjamin Tyler Henry, to design an improved cartridge for the Volcanic Rifle. Late eighteen sixty, Henry received a patent for a lever action rifle almost identical to the volcanic, but used self-contained forty-four caliber cartridge of his design. And forty caliber as most of you know simply means that the Henry cartridge consisted of a copper casing <coughs> containing black powder, that's a little less than two grams, and a lead bullet, which it propelled at about eleven hundred feet per second. In Tyler Henry's honor, Oliver Winchester named both the new cartridge and the Reedus rifle which chambered it after him. Now you would think that with the Henry repeating rifle patented in late 1860, the Arms Company would have been well positioned to realize huge sales during the Civil War which fortunately the Henry had one major design flaw and that was in the config magazine which was filled from the front. This magazine was awkward to fill, to say the least, and an open slot along the bottom of the magazine was prone to pick up water, dirt, dust, which might foul the cartridges within the magazine. This design flaw that made the U.S. government reluctant to purchase the Henry in large numbers for (coughs) U.S. The U.S. Ordnance Department did ultimately buy some 1,700 Henry rifles and some volunteer units armed themselves with the Henry. He wrote to the New Haven Arms Company. He said, I purchased one of Henry's 15-shot rifles to practically test its value and advantages over other firearms. The result is such that I have applied to headquarters and received permission for such of my company as two of them. to purchase them on their own Im- account, the government providing the ammu- ammunition and less uh, the terms for the purchase. The Army Ordnance Department favored the seven shot Spencer rifle and carbine, which were deemed more reliable under field conditions. Ordnance eventually purchased some 130,000 Spencers, but ironically, the Spencer Rifle Company would be out of business by 1868. It's patents purchased by Oliver Winchester, so it could never come back. Despite its defects, the Henry rifle quickly gained popularity in the West, where it, its ability to be fired 16 times before refilling the magazine was much appreciated. The gentleman, John C. Innes, was photographed with his Henry in the Beaverhead Valley. He looks very proud of that rifle. much later account of the use of Henry rifles for defense of a wagon train on the Bozeman Trail in 1866, Fordway reminisced, I do not suppose at this late date that there are now living many who remember anything about the long ago discarded firearm, nor that it was the legitimate parent of all the magazine guns in use now. short range, and could do but little damage beyond two guards but it was as nearly mechanically perfect as any machine gun could be. The hands of men of that day, 16 shots could be fired with astonishing rapidity. And an advertising flyer from a Midwest Henry agent claimed that a resolute man armed with one of these rifles, particularly on horseback, cannot be captured. <laughs> Five, the New Havens Arms Company was reorganized. In Chester Repeating Arms Company with Oliver Winchester and his family owning more than half the stock. The new company began seeking a solution to the rifle's impractical magazine desire. Uh, The answer came in early 1866 with uh, what they called the King's Patent, for a design which allowed cartridges to be inserted into the right side of the receiver so that it was no longer necessary to load cartridges from the front of the magazine. Applied of the Henry Rifles receiver and receiver of the Winchester Model 1866 loading gate for inserting cartridges. And this design allowed for a closed magazine with no slot along the bottom. Over the next 25 years, Winchester produced Model 1866 muskets, three-quarters of them, where the popularity was no doubt due to their ease of use on horseback. This is Gabriel Dumont, uh, the military military leader of the failed Métis Rebellion in Canada. He was photographed with his Winchester Model 66 carbine at Fort Assiniboine near Havre in 1885. Model 66 Winchester used the same 44 caliber Henry cartridge the Henry rifle did. Like the Henry, the Model 66 found quick popular who crossed the Plains in 1868 remember very fond of a carbine combining the Henry and King weapons. <coughs> it weighed but seven and one-half pounds it could be fired rapidly 12 times without replenishing the magazine. Hung by a strap to the shoulder this weapon can be dropped across the saddle in front and held there very firmly. Body, So light is this weapon that I have often held it out by one hand like a pistol and fired. (coughs) The Henry Rifle and the Winchester Model 66 were also very popular with American Indians. In 1983, a range fire swept over the area of Little Bighorn Battlefield where Lieutenant Colonel George Custer's command had been annihilated by the Sioux and Cheyenne in June, taking advantage of the opportunity provided by the fire burning off sagebrush and grass. A two-year archaeological survey of the area was begun and they recovered 122 fired and unfired 44 Henry cartridges by the Winchester Model 1866. It assumed that these cartridges had come from Indian combatants because the Indians were known to have been armed with weapons that used this type of ammunition. Logically and in, in positions. Recovered Henry cartridge cases are along the top row and recovered 44 caliber bullets. Also recovered 126 fired and unfired cartridges. The shows recovered Springfield cartridge cases and bullets. Summarized for comparison, the, the archeological survey recovered 126 fired and unfired cavalry cartridges from the area around Custer's. Perhaps the most striking discovery Of the 1984 Indian position on a ridge, a hundred yards southeast of the left end of the final position of Custer's command, cartridge case evidence collected at the Indian position, the analysts concluded that as many as 20 different cartridge cases on the ground that the analysts took on the place, Henryville. Of course, in over 100 years of legal and extra-legal surface collecting at Little Bighorn, of course, not hundreds of our of cart- battlefield, but clearly from the archaeological evidence, Henry and Winchester repeaters. In <coughs> Three years before Little Bighorn, Winchester had introduced its model 1870 mechanism as a Henry, and the model sixty six incorporated several improvements on the previous model model that because of its popularity back then and because of the Winchester advertising campaign is often called the gun that won the West. One improvement allowed the owner to easily disassemble the action for large screw. Another improvement of the Model 73 was the more powerful cartridge it used, the 44 caliber as a Henry cartridge, but it held 40 the muzzle velocity of the bullet was only about 1,200 feet per second. By the end of the 1870s, Colt and Remington both produced revolvers to chamber the forty four forty 40 Winchester cartridge. When versions of the Winchester Model 73 were introduced later in other calibers, Colt shortly began to also offer revolvers which chambered those new... Rendered to the governor of Missouri in 1882. The outlaw, Frank James, eloquently explained the developer <coughs> which used the same cartridge. Because the Remington is the hardest and the surest shooting pistol made, because it carries exactly the same cartridge that a Winchester rifle does, my armament was two Remingtons and a Winchester rifle. The cartridges of one filled the chambers of the other. You can see why I prefer Remington. There is no confusion of ammunition here. When a man gets into a close, hot fight with a dozen men shooting at him at once, he must have his ammunition. All can appreciate why having one's rifle and pistol engaged, even when one was engaging in activity, far less arduous than those described by Mr. James. 1873 to 1919 Winchester Manion. Model 1873 rifles. Rifles and carbines were assembled from parts in inventory until 1924. Now a significant shortcut, Nimrods of the Old West used it for everything from grouse to buffalo, with some success, but its power was decidedly lacking. In the late 1860s and early 1870s, rifles that chambered newly developed really powerful cartridges were all (coughs) single-shot weapons like Sharps and Remingtons. The 1878 Winchester catalog stated, the constant calls from many sources, and particularly the region's the large game are found, as well as the plains, where the absence of cover and shyness of game require the hunter to make his shots at long range, make it desirable for the company to build a still more powerful gun than the Model 73. Two Winchester rifles, the Model 1876, larger scale, almost exact copy as the Model 1873 built bigger to allow use of longer cartridges. Pioneer buffalo hunter and uh, trapper Nathaniel Hayden, who was photographed in Forsyth with his Model 76. Model 76 rifles were chambered for the 45-75 cartridge. That's 75 grains of black cartridge used by the Model 73. Cartridges were introduced over the next several years, including ultimately a 50-95 Express round in 1879, which sent a half-inch diameter bullet chugging out of the barrel at more than 1500 feet per second. fast fastest was attainable with black powder as it propelled. 95 grains of black powder, that's almost a quarter ounce, was about as much, and perhaps a little more, than the Winchester mechanism, which went back to the puny volcanic, could handle. Nor did the Model 76 live up to the promise of change. Theodore Roosevelt was a big fan of Winchester rifles, but he said of the Model 76, I read about killing antelopes at 800 yards with a Winchester address, a weapon which cannot be dependent upon at over 200, fully inaccurate at over 300 yards. Then it was time to look for a radically improved... Oliver Winchester died in 1880, but the company remained firmly in family hands until 1918 when a majority of the stock became publicly held. The 1880s, Arms designer John M. Browning who designed the next five Winchester rifle models and the Lever factory in 2006. Today, 1860s, 70s, and 80s, repeating carbines were used by individuals such as Montana, by Billy the Kid, and by Pat Garrett, by Frank and Jesse Theodore Roosevelt, and by his fellow North Dakota cattle baron, as I mentioned at the beginning of this talk, the slogan, the gun that won the West, was coined at time when the Old West had been dead for 30 years. Ironically, the slogan was coined in the very year when Winchester finally mm-hmm. production of the venerable Model 18. I suppose that the Winchester advertising men envisioned the gun that won the West as a weapon that was used by advancing white mm-hmm. law and order to subdue the lawless. But the truth... As we've seen, Winchester firearms were enthusiastically adopted by American Indians in their fight to preserve men and their freedom as a little bighorn, and also by criminals like Frank James and Billy the Kid. If the slogan, the gun that won the West, describes a type of firearm that provided the possibility of huge firepower for personal protection, while at the same time offering its bearer a means to bag supper, if the slogan describes weapons that were reliable, and easy to maintain. Hogan describes arms that have become iconic through their common presence in the photographs of the Arras.